Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week on the site, Danny Kelly, Robert Mays, and Kevin Clark will be offering their takeaways after each day at the NFL Combine. Miles Surrey brings you his Ringer Guide to Streaming in March, and Andrew Grudadaro tells you how to survive The Bachelor. You can check those out and more on TheRinger.com. Hello and welcome to a special emergency edition of the Ringer MLB show. It's an emergency, emergency. Bryce Harper has signed with the Philadelphia Phillies because I live and breathe this Philadelphia freedom. And here to talk about, wow, I just did a whole thing there. Here to talk about Bryce Harper's signing is Zach Cram. Zach. That was something. I'm jazzed about this. I have also just eaten dinner after having very low blood sugar while writing about this. So uh, I'm on a high right now. So let's let's take advantage of this. Um, why don't you kick us off? What are you signed for? What are the, the details of the deal as far as we know them? So I think when this news first broke today, it was just that he was going to Philly. And that caused a reaction in and of itself after all the drama of the last few months, particularly the drama of the last few days. And then the details of the actual contract leaked, and it's 13 years, $330 million. So that is, I believe, tied for the longest deal in Major League history, and it is the most total value for any contract in pro sports history, at least in the U.S. At least, and, te- Amer- yeah, North American team sports. Yeah. I think it's joint longest with Stanton. I'm like, I've I've hesitated to say, oh, it's the longest because, like, I I wonder if, like. I remember something about Bob Turley signing like a 14 year deal in 1958. So I don't know definitively, but it's it's still tied for the longest in in recent history. And it has no opt outs and no trade clause. So Bryce Harper, who is you know, he just completed his age 25 season. He's 26 years old. He's going to be in Philly basically till he's 40, um, you know, unless he decides he wants differently and they decide to trade him. But because of those. Uh, the no trade clause and the lack of any opt outs. He'll be there for a long time. Yeah, this is a, a really long commitment. Zach, how many voluntary relationships have you had that lasted 13 years in terms of like jobs or friendships or anything like that? We were talking uh, just like, you know, in Ringer MOB Slack. And then I saw people talking online about just how different everything will be 13 years from now, how different The world is now from 13 years ago. I think people are overreacting a little bit to the fact that this is 13 years. Manny Machado signed for 10 earlier this month, and 10 is a pretty standard number for contracts. And I think like 10 years for 330 million, people might have thought, oh, this is like kind of a little bit of of an overpay, but not too much. So then essentially you're getting just three extra years for no extra cost. But people are still saying this is a, a, you know, an exorbitant commitment. I'm not sure if that's really the interpretation we should make of it. No. And that's the, um, the thrust of my piece that's going up as we record. Um, it's the, I made a couple comparisons, one to, uh, like, let's say that Nolan Arenado is making uh, $32.5 million a year over eight years. And this you know, this Harper contract is essentially adding five years and $70 million onto the end of that. And that's just the price you, you know, the, the price the Phillies were willing to pay to 
Uh, I think some of this is probably Scott Boris wanting to get the record contract back from the Wasserman group and, and John Carlos Stanton. I think some of this is just, you know, the Phillies wanting to, to put the, or to push down Harper's, um, value against the competitive balance tax. There have been reports that this deal is front loaded, which makes sense because Harper's worth more than the 25 million and change he's going to make every year. He's probably worth 30, 35, $40 million, if not more. Um, but this is about like the next seven, you know, between like five and eight years. Uh, that's going to be the rest of Harper's prime. That's what the Phillies wanted to lock up. And the, you know, the rest is just how, however you want to do the accounting. So, you know, 13 years is a long time. We'll see what the economics of baseball look like, you know, but this is, they got Bryce Harper and this is a team that had tons of money to spend that uh, had, Talk, you know, talked a big game about contending this year, which you know they haven't had a winning season. Um, I think si- since at least 2012, uh, and they haven't made the playoffs since 2011. This is a big market team. They're falling behind as the other, you know, as the Sixers and Eagles have uh, have developed championship contenders. Uh, you know, they needed to do something like this. I, I think it would have been nice for the. Uh, for the Dodgers, you know, honestly, I think the Dodgers should have gone after, and we could talk in, in some depth about the teams that missed out on them, but the the Dodgers should have gone after Harper's, Harper as soon as they, they traded Puig and Kemp, and instead they went a little bit cheaper. Well, they went significantly cheaper with, with A.J. Pollock, and I think they'll end up regretting that in the long term, and I think the Giants were in this because they're another team with a lot of money to spend, and if they could get Harper at the right price like the Padres did with Machado, then so much the better. Um, but yeah, I, I think the and I think this is the basis of what uh, what Ben's writing now uh, that is going to go up later tonight. That he makes a he makes a bigger difference for the Phillies than any of the other teams that were sort of linked with him at the end. Just for the record, John Morosi is reporting right now that the Dodgers were willing to offer four year deal for forty five million per season. That was just two five minutes ago. So if that if that uh, informs your opinion on that last take at all, Bauman. No, that sort of tracks with what Boris was saying earlier in the afternoon, um, that they got a short-term deal worth $45 million a season. And like we've been talking about, maybe this is a direction that teams and players could agree to go, you know, where these absolute top-end players just blow away the current standard for uh, for average annual value on these shorter deals. I don't know. If I were Harper, I might have taken that. But, you know, I don't know what he values and what Scott Boris values. And so, you know, clearly... Like a 13 year contract is like, that's not a, an employment agreement. That's a marriage. Um, so, you know, clearly he's on board with to really be a core part of that team for forever. And, you know, obviously in my biased opinion, I'm happy he chose that over, over greater short-term financial gain. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's interesting to see concrete reports of like, this is sort of the traditional super long-term superstar contract and, you know, have a player turn that down instead of the shorter term deal that, you know, smart baseball folks have been saying would make more sense for teams to offer and make more sense for superstars to accept. And I think that's really interesting in light of the fact that Harper doesn't have an opt out clause because so many lengthy, so many big dollar contracts that have been signed recently have included those, even if the player doesn't exercise them. Like Jason Hayward was not exercising his opt-out clause. David Price did not exercise his opt-out clause. But even this winter, a lot of the big contracts have had them. Machado's has an opt-out after five years. Nolan Arenado has an opt-out after three. So even if 
you know, depending on how the market looks in a few years, they won't want to re-enter free agency in their 30s. The fact that they have the option is, I think, where I expected baseball contracts to go. That's a very NBA-style thing where stars like LeBron James and Kevin Durant will sign contracts where they can opt out basically every year to keep signing escalating dollar amounts. So the fact that Harper's not even experimenting with that is really interesting to me. Like you said, Michael, maybe this is just because he wanted to get that biggest contract ever, like dollar value assigned to it. Of course, that'll probably be erased in a couple of years when Mookie Betts and Mike Trout enter free agency. But the very notion that he's making this commitment with basically no caveats, I think, is a reversal of recent trends. Yeah, that's very unusual. And even if you are like, you know, I I never thought for a second that Clayton Kershaw was going to leave the Dodgers, but he has the or he had the opt out and just use that as leverage to to get a little bit more money. Like that's the the standard operating procedure, you know, dating back to A-Rod, speaking of big Boris contracts for mid 20 superstar position players like he opted out and just wound up getting a raise and staying in New York. So, yeah, it's interesting that, that he didn't get that. And I'm it's so far. Uh, as far as I know, the the terms of the deal in terms of year to year breakdown have been released. It would be interesting to see how front loaded this deal is and uh, and what shape the 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 year to year salary takes. Because I think like a lot of the the visceral negative reaction to this deal is based it's based on two things. One, thirteen years is is forever, and like you you hear thirteen years for Harper. And you don't realize that, you know, he is he's going to be younger when his 13 year deal is up than Miguel Cabrera is when his eight year deal is up. Um, you, you know, you don't realize that uh, that the economics of baseball have changed, that twenty five million dollars a year now is not the same as twenty five million dollars in 2007 or 2001. Um, that leads into the second point, which is that we see the back like we we're just so used to writing off the back end of. Uh, of uh, big contracts like Pujols and Cabrera and Ryan Howard, you know, disaster though that was from day one, uh, and, and Prince Fielder, you know, these big sluggers, you you sign them these big deals knowing that the contract's not going to look good at the end, but you want those those prime years. Uh, how this is different is in those deals in the Pujols and Cabrera contracts, the salaries escalate, so they're at their very highest. You know, I guess this is a hedge against inflation. You know, or um, say. You know, the, the $30 million a year now will be worth less in 10 years than it is at the beginning of the contract. Maybe we'll just shift the, um, you know, shift the financial burden to the back. But in Harper's case, it goes the other way. So he's going to, if these reports are, are right, he's going to get paid the most when his value is highest and the Phillies commitment uh, to winning is the greatest. And I think that just makes sense for everybody. Some of the negative reaction also stems from maybe an overreaction about kind of belittling Harper as a player. I agree with you. I think a take you shared on Tuesday's pod that you would prefer to have Machado out of the two of them. And I agree. I think he has a more stable skill set. But I also think that some of the the negative opinions of Harper just stem from like looking at his wins above replacement last year, which were low, but that was almost entirely because of negative defensive numbers. Ben wrote a pretty convincing piece that a lot of those defensive numbers were just because Harper like wasn't running into walls anymore and wasn't fully exerting himself in his which contract. Which is still year. not great. Like which, you which want a guy to exert himself on defense, but 
Sure, but you know, we have come full circle from earlier in Harper's career when people are telling him to take it easy. But I think the larger point is that like a staple of Sabermetrics 1.0 is that defensive statistics are not perfect and you have to judge them over multiple years. And I think people are forgetting that somewhat when they're just looking at his one-year sample on defense and concluding, well, he's ruined as a defensive player. He's not going to be good for a while. Like, I wonder if the fact that it seems like the National League will gain a designated hitter at some point in the next five years plays into Philly's like risk profile a little bit. It would probably make having like a 34 year old Harper a little more palatable if you don't have to play him in the field. But I also think it's a bit of an overreaction to say that, well, Harper was worth what, like 1.3 wins above replacement? 1.3 wins above replacement in, uh, um, in baseball reference war and like he was a three and a half win player on fan graphs, which also thought he was a bad, def- like uh, the defensive numbers on him on fan graphs were so bad. They also look like a, like a fluke. Um, but like, God, if, if you, if you re- he also played a bunch of center field where he's probably not capable of doing that uh, at this point in his career. But if you think he's a minus 26 run defender, like, I don't know what to tell you. And the people, you know, the people are using this to bludgeon him tend to be people who, I don't know, I said this in Slack and it came off uh, strong, but I am emboldened in my Phillies takes these days because Tyler Tynes is is so over the top about it. Um, I said, you know, the people who who are saying this, like most of them couldn't spell UZR if you spotted them the U and the Z. And (laughs) that's not a serious criticism. If you think it's, he's actually a minus 20 or 30 run defender in right field, over the long haul, uh, then we're just we're just having different conversations. And I, you know, I, I, I'm saying that not to diminish that maybe he's not a, a good right field defender, and maybe his defense isn't gonna isn't gonna age that well. All both of those are possibilities, but the bat is so good uh, that it makes up for so much of that. And it really fits with Philadelphia because. Earlier this offseason, Philly traded a lot of future pieces for what are essentially win now moves. Obviously, like Gene Segura and Andrew McCutcheon and JT Real Muto are not one-year additions. They will be in Philadelphia for the next two years or longer. But like those pieces all made Philly a wild card contender, but they didn't push them into the zone where it necessarily made sense to trade your top prospect. Uh, but Harper is such an important addition for where they are on the win curve. Taking them from like an 84 win team to an 88 win team is the difference between making the playoffs and not. I was very, very down. I think I was the the most down uh, out of anybody in baseball media on the Rio Muta trade because it, it's not like, that's not the move you, you make to, to put your team over the top. That's the, the move that you make once you've already got a contending team and you're just trying to maximize every last bit of your major league roster. And that may, if they had done those, those trade or if they had signed Harper first and then made the Real Muto trade, it would have made a lot more sense. Uh, but that was a huge risk to take, not knowing that they could get somebody of Harper's uh, quality and just, you know, look at those three or four guys and how they've transformed the roster. You know, this is such a different team. If Michael Franco is your second best hitter versus like your sixth or seventh best hitter. And and you put that whole package together. I don't I honestly don't know if I'm gonna pick them to win the National League East. I think the Braves are are very good and, and have only gotten stronger. I think the Nationals are gonna the uh, maturation of Juan Soto is gonna allow them to weather Harper's at absence quite well. So like they've still got a long way to go, but they look like they're serious now. 
and they didn't even 24 hours ago. One of the stats I found when I was writing my piece today is that the Phillies who play in the, uh, based on park factors, the second most home run friendly ballpark in the majors, only behind Yankee Stadium. But they haven't finished better than 15th in home runs in any season since 2010. And that's like the Ryan Howard, Chase Utley glory days. So it's been a really long time since Philly had the kind of home run production they'll have this year with Harper and Reese Hoskins and all those other guys we've named. So just like from the most basic offensive thing you can do, which is Homer and reach base, Harper's one of the best in the game at that. I think that the Phillies lineup looks a lot better than last year where it was Hoskins and a bunch of guys who were around league average. Now they have actual stars like we were talking about different lineup configurations they can make at this point and who knows what it'll eventually look like who will lead off etc but it's certainly a lot more promising picture than anything they had last year bobby wants us to talk about the ryan howard comparisons bobby who's who's actually comparing him to ryan howard is this just like a, a nebulous people on twitter thing People on Twitter and also people in Ringer MLB Slack. I mean, no names necessary, but I've seen the the Phillies got burned by a long contract once before. And I think that this is a completely different situation. So I'm just yeah. wondering, what is the proof that it's a different situation? So, so there's a couple things. One is that Harper at his peak is a galactically better player than uh, than Ryan Howard is. Let me, let me look it up. I, th- I think when... Howard was this old or when Ryan Howard was as old as Bryce Harper is now. Yeah. He had, so he, he had, had, he had fewer had, than 400 career plate appearances. Yeah. So there's that thing. They, and also like there's a difference between Bryce Harper, bad defender where like an inconsistent effort, but good athlete in an outfield corner versus Ryan Howard, who not only like his range is as far as he can dive off first base, but also can't throw the ball from first to second. That's another huge thing. Harper's also a better on base guy. Like Harper didn't have that great an offensive year. He only hit about 250, and there was all that that talk about how bad he was in the first half. He was he still walked 130 times. Howard never walked that much. So like the only thing that Howard's really got on Harper is is uh, raw power. And Harper does just about everything else better. So let's look at the the Howard contract was what, 2012 to 2016? So by that point, that was age 32 to 36. Uh, what's Harper? You know, Harper's going to be in what? Like, as I do math in my head, like the years like six, seven, and eight, something like that of his contract. So like imagine that that if they were paying the same amount of money for a better player, but in addition, they were also getting the years where Howard made three all-star teams and and won the MVP and led the league in home runs twice. So like it, it's just not an apples to apples comparison. Where the apples to apples comparison I think becomes interesting spinning this forward is does you know how does this necessarily affect the future market for players like Betts and Trout? And I think like the Machado contract just earlier this month provided a reasonable template for the next Nolan Arenado contract. Uh, We talked about this on Tuesday, but Arenado's deal was kind of modeled off Machado's. It was two fewer years, but a little extra money per year to compensate for their difference in ages. Mookie Betts and Bryce Harper are the same age. Mike Trout is one year older, but they don't hit the free agent market for another two years. 
I don't know, Michael, do you think this resets the market for them necessarily? Because I look at someone like Trout and he's so much more valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Trout's career war is the same as Machado's and Harper's combined. Yeah, both of those guys, frankly, are just in a complete like I I think Machado and Harper are probably both top 10 position players in baseball. Top, you know, top 15 in Harper's case at the absolute outside. And, you know. Betts is in a completely different category from those guys, and Trout's in a, in a completely different category from Betts. So, I, you know, the difference between, I think one easy way to, to sort of do a bad take when it comes to baseball is underestimating the difference between, like, between Trout and Betts and then, like, whoever you think the third best player in baseball is. Because there's a there are huge gaps. Like, the gap between one and two is, is I don't know, it might be bigger than, than the gap between, like, 15 and, and 50. So you're not just like this is not just one class of of superstar like this is you know Harper Machado is is a little bit better than Harper and then there's a huge gap like I don't know in terms of what I knowing what I know about baseball analysis and maybe you know it's likely that the front offices know even more than I do I'd pay if I'm willing to pay like uh 13 years and and 330 for Harper I'd go 10, you know, 10 and 500 million for trout without breaking a sweat. Well, the question isn't necessarily what you would pay. Yeah. yeah. So, so to, to answer your question, I think, I don't know if it sets the market. I think it stabilizes the market because it, it reinforces that these $300 million deals are out there for the top, for the very top tier of free agents. Um, and I was not sure of that, uh, cause we were, you know, we were seeing, uh, deals with you know with Kershaw and uh and Stan and Pujols and Cabrera and uh you know Prince Fielder again you know the we were seeing like 200 million dollar deals sort of creeping up back to the ceiling that A-Rod set in 2007 and then the bottom fell out of the free agent market a couple years ago so and last year's class was pretty weak but now like we're seeing that if nothing else play you know the very top end players haven't lost that much ground so you know I I don't know. If you asked me three years ago what I thought Harper would get, I thought he would get probably like 10, 400 and Trout would get something like 10, 500. But it's just so hard to predict right now. Yeah, I think it's important to note on that last point that it's you know great to see that players like Harper and Machado and I guess Arenado with his new contract are receiving essentially in range of what they deserve based on their production. But I I think calling like pointing to the last week and a half of contracts doesn't prove that the free agent market isn't necessarily, you know, it's not not broken. And that isn't just because players like Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel are still searching for contracts. It isn't even just because players are signing, you know, players are being forced to sign minor league deals and audition for spots. And players like Adam Jones haven't even had a chance to do that yet. It's because like, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are phenomenal players, and I think we'll talk about the teams that missed out on Harper in a second, but the fact that there were only like two or three teams even trying to sign him is indicative of a problem yeah. in and of itself. Yeah, it's the the problems haven't gone away, but at least it feels like we're actually talking about baseball again, which uh, I'll, I will gladly take in terms of short-term relief. All right, let's, we're going to, when we get Ben on on Tuesday, we're going to uh, talk about whatever contract details 
um, bubble up and we'll get his take on this whole thing. So we still got plenty more to discuss, but just to wrap up here, you know, what are your thoughts on the Dodgers, the Giants, you know, the, the teams that missed up, missed out on Harper? I think we both wrote in separate pieces earlier this offseason that it would be a pretty disappointing development if the Dodgers traded Puig and traded Alex Wood and traded Matt Kemp and used sort of that flexibility just to sign AJ Pollock and AJ Pollock is a good player but that's exactly what happened and congratulations to the Dodgers who will be under the luxury tax once again that's great news for the fans who haven't seen their team win a World Series in 30 years and I think I don't know that's my opinion of the Dodgers like they'll still win the NL West because the rest of the division is fairly weak and they have such a strong core but Harper would have really improved that team yeah and you know, the Giants just sort of felt uh, like optimistic to me. I think I said this a couple minutes ago, but like the Padres just discovered the price was right for Machado. I think if the Giants had discovered the price was right for Harper, then that would have been the biggest reason for them to pursue him because they're they're still a few years away. They're still tearing down so they can build back up. Poor Smash Mouth. Oh, man. Big, big week for Smash Mouth. I'm very excited not to talk about Smash Mouth again for for quite some time. They almost um, broke you. So I'm what a turnaround, like 48 hours take. And then after that happened, like we spent all we didn't. But but you guys spent all day talking about Smash Mouth on Slack. But we've actually got baseball to talk about, which is nice. All right. Uh, I'm going to stop rambling and uh, we're going to get this pot out into the ether and we will discuss this in more depth and I think greater coherence on Tuesday. Uh, but until then, Zach, thanks for, for joining me. Thank you. Go celebrate. <laughs>